Welcome to Seeking Alpha's Wall Street Breakfast, your daily source of market news and analysis. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Welcome to Seeking Alpha Editor's Roundtable, what moved markets this week for the week ending Friday, September 17th, 2021. A interesting week, not all that much in the way of movement, but it has been down for the most part. As we record this at noon on Friday, major indexes showing a drop from a week ago, led by the NASDAQ, which is off about a half of 1%. Not entirely clear what is causing this. We had a retail report yesterday that was stronger than anticipated, but then they had to revise things downward for the previous month. And there's been the whole Evergrande thing in China that has investors a little bit nervous. So I am curious what my colleagues have to say about all of this, what they have to say for themselves. And I will introduce them now in no particular order, joined here by Brad Olison, the VP of News. Kim Khan, Senior News Editor, Stephen Alfer, Managing Editor of Breaking News. I am your host and moderator, Nathaniel E. Baker, Senior Editor of Strategic Contributors here at Seeking Alpha. So let's start off with Kim, as we normally do, to give us the big picture view of what moved markets this week. Well, September is seeming to have a bit of a bearish feel to it. We're looking at a down week for the S&P, which would be two weeks down in a row, and that hasn't happened since May. Um, Right now, the S&P is kind of flirting with its 50-day moving average, which has been seen as a level of support. So, but that's all that said, it's only down about two and a half percent from its all-time high, and it's still pretty far away from the kind of 5% pullback that a lot of market watchers have been saying we kind of need to shake out some stuff and, and get a healthy growing uptrend again. But on the macro front, as you said, we had retail sales that looked was a surprise gain. We also had um, a big jump in Philly Fed and Empire State manufacturing. So that's going to that's countered with a cool and expected CPI, and of course the weaker jobs report that we saw going into the Fed meeting next week. So they're going to have a couple of competing narratives. But it looks like if you're looking at the main things with the inflation and and the labor market, that gives it a little more time and probably not to mention tapering at this meeting. Yeah, the Fed meeting next week, I failed to mention, that is the big event for next week, arguably for the quarter. And we'll be sure to talk about that a little bit later. But first, Brad, tell us about who the winners and losers were this week. So I said last week, it it was a case of competing narratives. It's no longer the simple work from home, stocks go up, going out, stocks go down. Uh, There's been a lot of churning beneath the surface in the market. As Kim indicated, Wall Street has been broadly expecting a decline for quite some time. We've seen that just over the past week. But valuations within the groups and individual stocks are actually starting to matter. There's this idiosyncratic uh, development watch that, that we're looking for. There's no longer risk on or risk off. I guess case in point this week continued risk off sectors like utilities were the weakest, although consumer staples also considered a risk off sector was towards the upper half of the performers this week. And while energy was the true standout sector, I'll get to that in, in just a minute. With regards to churning underneath the surface, uh, we're seeing a lot of discussion about the breadth uh, within the market, struggling just 75% now. The S&P 5 members are above their 200-day moving average. That's the lowest since November of last year. Uh, Kim, Kim wrote this morning about how the American Association of Individual Investors is turning less bullish. Perhaps that's a function of last week's 
sour mood in the S&P. I'm not sure, but even, as I mentioned, Wall Street's even sour. Uh, most analysts now expect that decline, um, although contrarians, I think we all uh, view contrarians rather favorably on this um, mm. program, would, would argue that when everyone's on one side of the boat, that's when you get the strongest melt up. And, and true to form, J.P. Morgan's Kalinovich said uh, top of the week that just to remind readers that equities do still have room to run. Um, even though the breadth is weakening, you still have the, there is no alternative, right? Equities still yield a lot more than bonds, even with that taper on the horizon. But again, getting back to the, the true winners and losers here, energy was the standout. Um, WTI crude pushed above $70. Natural gas rose above $5.50 for, for the highest level um, since February of 2014, when we got above $6.50. Just for some reference point here, the average price for natural gas over the from 2014 to now has been about $2.92. So we're up in rarefied uh, air here with regard to the natural gas um, prices. Now, who does that benefit? EOG Resources, Occidental, NOV Inc., Marathon Oil, Schlumberger, Apache, all of those locked up the top slots in the energy sector this year. Some of those are EMPs, they benefit from the crude as well. On the downside, as you mentioned, Matt, China, the Evergrande story is, is just weighing heavy. You also had a regulatory crackdown on looking at Macau now, reports of the Alipay breakup of Alibaba, all weighing on Chinese names. With regard to the S&P 500, Las Vegas Sands and Wynn Resorts, both having a huge profit center in Macau, lost 10% and 18% respectively this week. So huge impacts, at least as far as the China is concerned. I did a quick screen just for our listeners here, uh, just taking a look at some of the Chinese names that are traded on U.S. exchanges over $200 million in market cap. Of the 110 or so names that I found, only 14 were in the green this week. So that's huge, huge downside in a lot of these names. One of Some of the biggest names that our listeners may recognize, VIP Shop, Weibo, Billy Billy, I think Pinduo Duo um, was also pretty weak and Got some press earlier this week when the founder, I guess, had the largest loss in net worth um, of all these Chinese billionaires, up to $28 billion this year he's lost. Um, I joke that I wish that one day I could mm. lose $28 billion. Um, I thought you had lost more. And it's still still be solvent, obviously, but uh, I don't want to be in the red by twenty eight billion naturally. But um, I know just I a quick note on the on the space names, very popular. Um, you know, they got a lot of press for civilian space flight that helped names like Astra, Spire Global, um, and and Rocket Labs, which all play in that space. Yes, yes, the, the space space. Um, yeah, bookmark that. I'm going to come back to that uh, later on. But Stephen, first back to you. What were you watching this week? You know, for a long time, we could measure downturns in, in terms of hours or most a day or two. Uh, now we're measuring in, term of, in terms of weeks. Uh, for the first time in a long time, I feel like you know, a sizable downturn is ahead of us. That, that that doesn't mean a market crash. That doesn't mean a sustained bear market. But I think, I think a ten to twenty percent pullback in the S and P five hundred uh, might be at hand. Only only in Wall Street's sell side could it be thought of right now as a contrarian position to be bullish. <laughs> I mean, there's been a two percent pullback. A few of the normal bears are still bearish, and you know, J P Morgan says, "Well, we're going to be contrarians. We're going to be bullish here." Uh, that's insane to me. The, the preponderance of of folks are still still very bullish on this market uh, because they don't think the Feds or any of the central banks or they they just think they're going to keep pumping money into it. There's just a lot of, of bearish items right now. You mentioned China Evergrande. Uh, we were talking earlier before the podcast about shocking rise in, in energy prices in the UK. 
Uh, we can juxtapose that with, with collapsing lumber prices and iron ore prices. There's just a lot of things going on. I started to hear Lehman Brothers being tossed about this week in, in regards to the China Evergrande thing. And naturally, the question isn't, will China bail out uh, the bondholders of China Evergrande? The question is, when will they bail out the bondholders of China Evergrande? That, that just goes to show, kind of show you where we are. Um, I know everyone loves my anecdotes. Uh, there's still massive supply chain issues. Uh, retailers are worried about being able to get product into the stores uh, for Christmas. Uh, I was, you know, I'm at like at a local Wawa the other day, you know, you go in there on a hot day after your kid's baseball game for some Gatorades, the Gatorade shelves are empty. There were a couple bottles straggling around. I get my orders uh, through Aldi uh, where I just tell them what I want. And then I go pick it up. I'm getting constant pings now after I send those. Oh, we don't have that in stock. We don't have that in stock. Can we substitute? So things like this are going on. I know the markets need to climb a wall of worry. So you could say, well, here's the wall of worry to climb. But I, I just think we're setting up for, for a little more sustained and sizable downturn uh, than we've gotten used to over these past months. Interesting. Yeah. Another anecdote here for you. The Dairy Queen, the local Dairy Queen here in Hampton, Connecticut is drive through only due to labor shortage. So you cannot get out of your car and go in there and stand online if you wanted to, for what that's worth. Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Evergrande certainly bears watching, potential for a correction. Another thing to think about is that cash is trash. I'm quoting Ray Dalio here. He was on CNBC this week, and the second time he's made that reference. And the point is here that the risk-free rate for cash savings and, and bonds and such is, is, if not zero, then very close to it. So where are investors going to go to get a return? And they have to go somewhere, the, the, the thinking goes doesn't mean there won't be a correction before they do move into risk assets, but that's something else to think about. Yeah, and Dalio has um, been a great contrarian indicator, by the way. The last time he, he said cash is trash, I think the market was down 15% shortly yeah. thereafter. So, Right. True, but it's still- but it's Way still, more yeah. successful than me, but, but uh, yeah. Right. He, he could afford to lose $28 billion and still be okay, right? So he's up there. Probably the benchmark now. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, we're all okay here. Anyway, let's move on to the next segment of the show where we discuss our favorite stories, uh, seeking alpha articles, research reports, tweets, or other things that we have come across in our travels. And let's start with Kim. Well, I want to look at um, B of A came out with its uh, a big comprehensive 150 page report on 14 moonshot technologies. These the tech that it sees being the you know getting in on the internet before it was the internet kind of thing. So and it's got a long list of, of diverse different um, technologies, so ranging from there's the metaverse, next iteration of the internet, net. There's uh, holograms, um, wireless electricity, brain computer interface, which looked interesting, and um, there's immortality as mm, well. That's my favorite. Yeah, I'm long immortality definitely. Yeah, that was an interesting report. I mean, it was funny also what they didn't mention, which speaking of space, they didn't mention space exploration. Uh, I guess supposedly that has become a reality, if an expensive one. But uh, space tourism, I guess, is already a thing in some level. But uh, yeah, the immortality, to the extent that you think that could be achieved, or forget about immortality, maybe extending people's lives 20 years, that would bring a whole host of all kinds of issues um, for the economy and, and society. Um, that are interesting to think about and not for the scope of this uh, particular program, but 
nevertheless something to consider. All right, Brad, what about you? So more to, to Stephen's point about the, the supply chain issues, I've got two quick stories. Um, Apple was a dud um, this week in terms of their big product uh, announcement. Um, their watch, I guess, is supposedly they didn't give a firm date. They're likely having some supply chain issues, um, although they kind of glossed right over that. Uh, shares usually do. There's a lot of pop and circumstance associated with the release. Nothing doing this week. Slight sell-off for them and some of their suppliers when they announced all the developments. And interestingly enough, it used to be that you know there would be that killer feature that required a, a big upgrade. And um, the, the one game changer that Wall Street found was storage. That's as boring as it gets, I guess, now in terms of, you know, oh, we can get a terabyte in a, in a phone. Okay, that's the one game changer, according to Wedbush. Now, I will admit with all these videos and, and uh, pictures getting larger and larger, you're going to need more storage. But, you know, usually you're expecting some sort of out-of-the-box thinking. But I guess we're, we're inside that rectangular little uh, box at this point. And then on the other side of the supply chain, you, you saw some weakness in Under Armour shares this week. A lot of retailers difficult, having difficulties with factories in Vietnam. There were some anecdotes of instead of going for shipping containers, which have now, you know, you should be long shipping containers instead of long immortality, Kim. They're, I think, something like triple, tripled in cost of getting a shipping container across the ocean now. So now a lot of these retailers are going air freight. But interestingly enough, even with all of those retail concerns on holding, which is the Roger Federer-backed uh, mm. sportswear company, had its debut this week, soared and is now worth more than Under Armour and a bunch of other very widely known uh, sports retailers, uh, despite the fact that there are all these supply constraints that are hanging ominously over the, the marketplace. Hmm. Yeah, you would think that space is pretty crowded of the sportswear, you know, all the major brands, but maybe not. Uh, you know, and those guys from Switzerland have figured out a way to edge their way in. Stephen, what about you? Uh, I really enjoyed the series of stories done by Jason Acock on Facebook, uh, the Wall Street Journal. He was covering the Wall Street Journal's kind of expose, day-by-day expose of what, quote, are some bad things going on at Facebook. They know Instagram is really harmful for teens. They've, they've exempted the Sikh, a Sikh elite from their normal rules, uh, a bunch of other things. The stock pulled back a little bit on, on some of this stuff. In the past, every time these kind of uh, negative Facebook things have come out, it's hit the stock and it's always been like a great buying opportunity. So I'm, I'm really not interested so much in, in kind of the, the details of, of what, what's going on at Facebook. We know it's this massive platform. Yeah, there's some, there's some less than savory things going on with something that everybody on the planet is logged into. But in the past, these have always proven to be like really good buying opportunities for Facebook stock. Yeah. And the only thing I'll say about that is a couple of months ago now, I deactivated my Instagram account and I have been sleeping better, eating better, feeling better, and in general, just more, much more at ease with the world around me, which may be a coincidence, but. Well, there were other developments, right, this week besides just that, um, I guess, bad PR, right? Yeah, I guess there was there, the FTC too. Yeah. Right, there's that. And also Facebook is being forced to announce all these new products um, and innovate, I guess, as opposed to just buying all the other competing you know, companies out there were forced to innovate on, in the wake of Apple's crackdown on, on kind of data sharing that's making it difficult for Facebook to target some of their users. So more than just bad PR out there for them, but I think they'll, they'll probably be okay, as, as Steve mentioned. That's certainly been the pattern for Facebook stock, yeah. Major bounces after every one of these things. 
I would like to uh, just audible a bit here and talk real quick about the Fed next week. As I mentioned, this is a major announcement. And what I've seen from the sell side research that I've read, it appears that the consensus now is saying the Fed will not announce any tapering next week, but will hold off until November. Is that consistent with what you guys have said? What are your thoughts on this? Kim, you want to go first? Um, yeah, I think that it, I mean, the big question is whether they kind of hint that they'll start in November at this meeting. And, you know, it's kind of a competing because Fed's saying they want to be data dependent all the time. So they won't know what the data looks like. So, you know, how can they say they'll definitely taper in November or hint at it? But on the other hand, Powell's been very clear of doing like, I'm going to give you a real advance warning before the tapering begins. So, you know, don't worry. I would just would, would, would say that one of the Fed governors was was out basically saying they could be ready to announce the taper in September. I think that's kind of all we got to go on, right? Now, as Kim says, they might just be hinting at it as opposed to beginning anything. So I don't think anyone really has to worry, but I guess the research is on whether they, you know, his, his history has shown us it's always been a little more dovish than everyone expects, I feel like. So as soon as everyone kind of rushes to assume we're going to get this more hawkish stance, it's always a little bit further than you expect. So I wouldn't even be surprised if we get, get to 2022. Interesting. All right, yeah, I think the taper the taper's off the ta- off the table this year. I think there's there's too for the, much for the whole year. Yeah, there's too much. I mean, yeah, they might hint that they're thinking about thinking about it, but I don't think Powell. You know, this we're right around the time in 2018, roughly when you know things began to fall apart, and I don't think he's going to make the same mistake twice. I think with everything that's going on underneath the surface, underneath the surface here, you know, exploding junk bond yields in China. And uh, a lot of the kind of the negativity we talked about, I think, I think, and w- one thing we didn't mention was the real slow inflation report for August. Um, it was uh, Joe Prisuelos called it the victory for team transitory. Um, so I think, I think Powell's got the weight of evidence on his side to continue staying quite dovish. Right. Interesting thoughts and comments from everybody. Thank you all for, uh, for participating. Thank you all for watching or listening as the case may be. If you've been listening, be sure to check out the videos. They go up on the website, uh, seekingalpha.com. The exact URL is seekingalpha.com slash videos slash alpha dash talks. Working on getting something a little bit more simple there. But in the meantime, go there and check it out. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. That concludes today's Wall Street Breakfast. Thank you for listening. For the best investment analysis and news on the web, go to seekingalpha.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can sign up for our other podcasts, Behind the Idea, Essay for FAs, Let's Talk ETFs, the Cannabis Investing Podcast, and Marketplace Roundtable on those platforms as well. Have a great day.